Good morning, good evening, and good day. I'm Francine, and I really love K-dramas. You're listening to Drama Buds, a Globe Studios podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Drama Buds Season 2. And welcome to the episode of all episodes. This, this is the most unhinged you will ever hear me. And this may possibly be my longest solo episode ever, ever, ever. And I will never do this again. Just for context, my outline slash script is 10,831 words long. We're gonna be here for a while. So you better sit down and get ready to hear me speak a lot about my sad little idol show. Oh yes, if you haven't heard about it, this is my newest K-drama obsession, possibly my greatest K-drama obsession. Um, it has truly taken over my life for the past four weeks and just ended quite literally an hour and a half ago. And I am a mess, but we have to do this. We have, we have to do this. I never want to be invested in a drama the way I was invested in Idol the Coup. Yes, Idol the Coup is here. But I mean this in a positive way. Like, I don't want to live my life like this because my life has been out of control for the past four weeks. Okay? I, I am, I'm, I've unraveled, okay? I am unhinged. And this is what you're seeing. So yes, Idol the Coup. A little background on the show and how I ended up here. So this is the comeback of the Missing writer. Remember Missing, that a uh, little sad little office show from 2014 that I'm obsessed with? Remember that show? Yeah, that writer. It's their comeback after, you know, the disaster of the Bride of Havoc, which I have not watched. I tried to, but then I realized this is not going to be productive. I will not like this. So I'm not going to do that to myself. Everyone says it's bad. I'll just believe them. So that was a disaster. And then they vanished for four years. And now they're back. And they gave me this. My God. And <laughs> more background. Um, This is my first time watching this director's work. The director of Clean with Passion for now. So... So, yeah, today is Idol the Coup Day. It's a full recap. It's been a while. Hey, it's been a while since I've done a reviews, recaps, and rants. Oh, it's gonna be a lot of those. All three of those today. It's been a while. It's my first in a long time. And, okay, full spoilers today. I'm not going to spoil everything, but I really want to go into the story arcs and just try to recap everything that happened in this show as much as I could remember. I I am doing this because I feel like I have to convince people to give it a try. Because it truly is amazing for a freaking idol drama. Okay, quick survey around the room. <laughs> what, what do you expect from an idol drama? Okay, just think about that for like a second. And it's not that. It's not going to be that, okay? It's not that. <laughs> Let me just tell you, it's an idol drama, but it's not what you'd expect from it, okay? So it just, it has this deeply emotional start leading up to this crazy, fast-paced plot with conflicts that are entirely 
character driven and things are yeah they're resolved quickly but it feels good it, it feels good to resolve things quickly because you feel like the story is moving so fast for them in such a critical time in their lives my gosh i'm getting ahead of myself i'm going to talk about all of this anyway girl calm down okay so what's the plot of the show It's about Cotton Candy, a failed girl group stuck in the dungeon of their agency for the past five years. And now they are seizing the last few months before their contract expires to end their story on their own terms. Let's start with plot and characters. We're starting with our main girl, Kim Jenna, played by An Hyun, also known as Hani of EXID. Our my main girl and if you could summarize her in a sentence she is you know the responsible leader who will sacrifice everything for the group yeah that's her in a nutshell that's her and from her introduction you already knew you would sympathize with her and want her to succeed like the opening scene was literally she was in an, a radio show about failed idols and that host was just rubbing it in her face that, oh, I have no idea what your group's name is. Oh, you're a failed idol because of this and that. Like, It's just watching someone be humiliated and be like, I this hurts to watch, but I cannot turn away because your story needs to be told. And if I stop watching, you will vanish. <laughs> anyway. You know, Jenna is constantly dealing with her members' problems, like trying to drag them back into the group and not giving up on anyone who is, you know, almost who has almost given up on the group. And Jenna starts out as like, you know, the nice group leader who they just scream at, they blame for everything, for their failure for the past five years. And Jenna would just take it. Right? She just let that happen. And I I love how she grew to stop taking that disrespect from her members and truly became like such a strong, inspiring leader that kept them together for this long and will continue to keep them together until their time is up. And um, when things in the agency changed, more on this later, uh, she was the one who rallied cotton candy together and fought for them to be given another chance now what i love and what i hate about jenna is her recklessness right it's it's this mindset of we don't have a tomorrow we only have today and that pushes her to do absolutely everything she can do for cotton candy to survive and to get that chance I love her absolute determination, but sometimes she is only thinking about the next step and she doesn't have foresight, right? That's the term, right? She doesn't look too far into the future because the future doesn't matter to her, right? She doesn't have a tomorrow. They only have a few months before a disbandment and they're going to go all out. They're going to do everything they possibly can. I love it because, you know, all of her decisions, no matter how reckless, they are truly for the good of Cotton Candy. Like, I do not doubt that this girl only thinks about Cotton Candy. She doesn't have a past. She doesn't have a future. She only has the present. Which, I mean, it's kind of a nitpick on her character that we know nothing about her aside from she exists in the moment. But I think that is her story. That there's nothing... Like, the things that have held her back in the past... uh, more on that later, they will vanish 
Like her past will stop holding her back and her future will always be uncertain. So she will only have the present and she will do everything she can in the present. I love it and I hate it because she doesn't listen to others when they are looking out for her and for Cotton Candy. Like it's frustrating because she's the type where it's very righteous. She's a little bit righteous, but righteous in the way that, you know, she really only cares about Cotton Candy. And if others are against her, they are against Cotton, or if they're against her decisions, they are against her and against Cotton Candy. It's a very, it's a simple way of thinking of things, which is a little frustrating at times, but I also understand her so deeply. Oh, what a great protagonist. Um, for me, her journey is just how far can she go for Cotton Candy? How much how how low can she go? How high can she jump? And and is it possible to really live as if you don't have a tomorrow? Like, will none of her actions have consequences if she believes that she is so justified that she is truly fighting for her group and that's all that matters? You know, that's 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 interesting to me. So our next character is the actual love of my life, Cha Jeyok, CEO Cha Jeyok. Played by Kwak Shiyang. Look, I'm... I'm not... I'm just gonna expose myself and say that I have a list of the characters that I am so attracted to. And I refer to them as um, jerks with a heart. It's it's a thing. Okay, first we have Jang Beki from Missing. Played by Kang Hanu, Love of My Life. Uh, we have Secretary Cha in Designated Survivor 60 Days. Played by Son Suku. Uh-huh. <laughs> we have Cho Sang-woo from Squid Game. Played by Park Hae-soo. Yeah. Okay, I love his character so much. And the greatest of them all. The greatest jerk with a heart. My absolute favorite, Mr. Goo. From Life. Played by Cho Sung-woo. <laughs> varying levels of jerk. Varying levels of heart. But I love them all. And welcome, Cha Cha the the top the top dog of them all i love you so much he is a dirty filthy capitalist and i love him <laughs> okay short background on his story he grew up in america he became an anr representative and then he got into finance and investment and yeah basically he was working in the american entertainment industry what a terrible industry to work in as a nation but okay in the timeline of the show, he was hired by the board to be a co-president and help the company go public in the stock exchange. And then, uh, spoiler alert, the founding CEO of Starpy, CEO Ma, the one that raised Starpies from the ground with Cotton Candy, he dies. <laughs> and um, Cha Jayok is left to be the sole CEO. And now he gets to make decisions about Cotton Candy's future. And of course, he wants to disband them. Guys, he's only here to make money and they haven't made money in years. They are dead weight. But, you know, despite what everyone says about him, he did, in fact, give them a chance. He let them perform. But uh, he's just not convinced that their talent will lead to profits. Like, once again, his main goal here is to make Starpies go public. And they need to show that all their assets are worth investing in. So, 
giving a chance to this failed idol group who doesn't have like oh the one percent potential that he keeps talking about it's just too risky okay he can't do it just because jenna wants it just because jenna is fighting him for it and so of course yes as mentioned this puts him at odds with jenna who is just 100 percent committed to getting cotton candy their last comeback more on this later and um uh, what what else about him? He also has this weirdly antagonistic relationship with Soji Han, we will discuss. And it's explained little by little until it's fully explored in episode 10. More on this later. And when I say more, I mean so much more on this later. <laughs> anyway, so as he sees how desperate uh, Jenna and Cotton Candy are, it makes him become, you know, a better person. Whether he intends to or not, whether that's the original plan, and he, you know, starts giving them a chance as they keep getting closer and closer to their goal. So, of course, his journey is becoming more human and more empathic. And it's just so good, really. It's such a good journey. You'd think, girl, how many jerks with a heart are we going to explore in fiction? This is not unique. No, it's not. But I don't care because I love how they did it. <laughs> he's always stuck like fixing other people's problems and still getting blamed for them and you can really see how his interactions with jenna and jihan kind of soften his character like they are really the ones with the strongest impact on him and um you can, uh, what I love about him really is that he doesn't let go of his business sense and his responsibility to the company. Like, just because he's softening doesn't mean he will completely let go of his original purpose. And his job, by the way, his job, just to, you know, uh, help Jenna and not hurt Jihan. And so when those, like, intentions are uh, at conflict with each other, like, whether he has to uh, choose between the business and Jenna or business and Jihan or any combination of the three. Um, what he does is he tells Jenna or Jihan to just, just do what's best for you. Do what you have to do. Do what you need to do. What you think you should do. And we will adjust. The company will adjust. We'll find a way to make it work. Right? In a way that will you know, help Jenna or Jihan accomplish what they think they need to accomplish and still keep star peace alive and keep the investors you know <laughs> still uh, have faith in him and trust him with the company yeah and we have soji han played by kim min kyu uh he is the leader of a successful boy group in star peace and at the moment they're taking a break as a group but they're releasing an album as a unit though he personally just wants to produce music for the group and not do the unit he is weirdly invested in helping Cotton Candy, especially when they're being shut down by CEO Cha. And the explanation is that he sees himself in them. Like, he sees himself as a child who just wanted the chance to succeed but wasn't given that chance. Essentially, he's projecting onto these girls and giving them, you know, his help, even if they're not asking for it. And he has this, like, existential crisis about, like, who am I outside of Mars and Kala? And Kala are the fans of Mars. And um, being a successful idol. And so, you know, his journey is addressing the existential issues and also mending his relationship with CEO Cha. And as you can tell by my tone of voice... 
As you can tell, to be completely transparent, I find his character so annoying, okay? He is the the typical white knight. I learned this term just because of his character. I, I discovered, like, oh, that's the term for it. You know, the one who is just there to <laughs> to help the girl for some reason to fix what's broken and to be the emotional support-ish. I mean, not to that extent romantically, but he's just always there unnecessarily. And it's unnecessary because Jenna is such a strong character who never asked for any of his help. So why are you here, Jihan? My god. It's it's really annoying how he's always just there when he's not really supposed to be. And I don't know if that was meant to heighten the idea of the love triangle initially, but they did not push through with that. Let me say that immediately. They did not push through with the love triangle. Thank god. What else do I hate about Jihan? Which I will more <laughs> i will go into this a lot later i just also think he's a very irresponsible group leader who thinks about cotton candy and jenna more than his own group more than mars and kala their fans more on this later way more on this but you know the show calls him out for it and he finally starts making decisions with his group in mind and with their consent so good for him honestly for becoming a better group leader Anyway, the next characters I'll be going through are the Cotton Candy Girls. Because although uh, Jenna, Jihan, and Jayok are the main three that are built, like, the girlies are important. This is their story. So first, we have Elle, played by Exi Ek- of uh, Cosmic Girls. So she is, in a nutshell, the most talented member. She's a main vocal and main rapper who wants to go solo. You know how it is. You know how they are. <laughs> anyway, um, before joining Cotton Candy, she was a member of another girl group who wasn't doing well at the time. But then after she left that group, that's when Killa, that group, hit it big. Okay, so, hmm, drama. And uh, now... Elle is working several part-time jobs. She's doing vocal guides. She's teaching voice lessons. She's working, working so hard to keep them, to keep Cotton Candy, and to keep her family afloat, um, especially because her mother is being abused by her dad. Mm-hmm, that that kind of family story. Um, at this point, early in the story, Elle has given up on Cotton Candy, but she still has not left. And I think... I think even Elle doesn't fully understand at the moment why she hasn't left, given that she already has a history of leaving people behind. The saddest part of her story is the fact that she is being pushed onto this uh, CEO who wants to invest in an idol. You know the icky stories, the icky reality where some idols have to you know, do favors for investors to get you know, support for their careers. It's very gross and it's very dark. And I appreciate that they wrote the story, but it was hard to watch at times. Anyway, Elle always has like one foot out of the door and they spend a lot of time convincing her to come back. More on this later, a lot on this later. But you know what? Elle is my bias, okay? She's my cotton candy bias, and I never ever wanted her out of cotton candy. I just I just wanted to smack her on the head and tell her to get her stuff together, okay? That's all I felt negatively about her. But Elle, I love her. Next girl, we have Stella, played by Han So-un. 
first of all, let me just say, Soon, the actress, is the only non-idol here. And she really had to practice singing while dancing. And I'm so proud of her. She has done so well. She kept up. Okay, she's not great, but she she's, she kept up with him. And I love her. Anyway, Stella in a nutshell. Um, quiet and supportive older sister. You know how it is. Uh, the visual of the group. That's her position. Stella is always on genocide. That's why she's the quiet and supportive older sister, okay? And what is she doing? At the moment, she's working as an actress in a soap opera to support them. Uh, what else can I say without spoiling her entire story? Uh, I think from the first few episodes, she was already shown having a mental health issue. Like anxiety, I think, from the very beginning. A lot more on this later. My gosh, exciting stuff. <laughs> anyway, next member, we have Hyunji, played by Solbin of Laboom. So she is, in a nutshell, the loud and reckless youngest member of the group. And in the first three episodes, my god, I hated Yunji. She was so annoying, she was so whiny, she was always yelling at Jenna, always blaming her for everything. She even left Jenna to perform and to suffer alone, you know, dragging Chea, the one she's closest to in the group you know, into abandoning Jenna. And she just goes out to clubs and drinks and gets paid to dance. That's how she contributes at least to keeping them alive and sheltered. <laughs> um, and the girls, like, they, ha- they literally had to chase after her and stop her from getting into fights with people. Like, she is the trouble child, essentially. A lot of the first three episodes focus on reining her in and keeping her, containing her finally. But, you know, when she's finally able to channel her recklessness and shamelessness to help Cotton Candy, she becomes tolerable. Okay? She's okay. She is the comedic relief. It's necessary. She's okay. And our last Cotton Candy girl is Chea, played by Green of Red Square. Yes. Uh, in a nutshell, she's kind of the the middle child of the group. You know, the one who's like, they're not outstanding, but they are hardworking. That's that's all that we can say about her. Um, yeah, Chea is the daughter of a famous actress and her twin sister. Wow. Her twin sister is also doing well as an actress. So, you know... Honestly, Chea's character was not given much time to shine. I cannot say much about her initially. She had like a good moment where she talked about her insecurity of not being naturally talented, of like straying from the path that was kind of chosen or desired for her and then failing in what she chose to do. So she has to keep working hard to justify her choices. I I liked that emotional arc of hers. And um, narratively, the way she's used in the show, she's the comedic sidekick of Hyunji. That's it for our main characters. The only ones that super matter, I guess, initially. Alright. So, I'm going to essentially go through all the story arcs. Because, oh, you, you think I'm insane now, huh? But we we haven't even started, okay? Calm down. It, it's gonna get worse. Anyway, so I'm going to go through all the story arcs because I love how this show is set up in arcs. I really love that. It's very similar to Hot Stove League and Designated Survivor 60 Days. Two very plot-heavy shows that I never thought I could compare to an idol drama. 
And I'm also going to describe my journey with these characters because this is truly a character-driven drama. And I love it. Okay, sit down. We're gonna be here for a while. Let's start with episode one. <laughs> okay. So I call episodes one to three the emotional foundation of the show. Because they mostly revolve around showing how bad their situation is. How uh, Cotton Candy was the first agent, uh, first artist of their agency, but they didn't succeed immediately. And then Starpiece started to rise, and then they were left behind. While you know Starpiece had artists that were already supporting the agency, and they didn't really need Cotton Candy anymore. The first three episodes, honestly, kind of repetitive because it's just about showing where they are at the moment, why they're so disjointed as a group. I mean. Elle is looking for a way out. Hyunji is just drunk, staying out, rebelling, making a mess. Chea doesn't even stay with them anymore because her mother is now pushing her to audition for dramas and start acting. And, oh god, Jenna. Jenna has like a janggure of missing moment of pure humiliation at the very first episode where she performs alone in an apartment complex you know those like courtyard areas in the in those apartment complexes in korea and you know she's alone she's performing in front of those residents and they make her sing other people's songs like trot songs or dance to uh the song of their junior artist in the agency that blew up before they ever would or could have and at this moment, I knew I was on Jenna's side. Like, this is her Jangare moment, okay? At that moment, when Jangare stuck his suit into that drum of squid, I knew I was going to love that boy with all my heart. And for Jenna, this was that moment. Like, if she's willing to put up with that just for her group, her group that abandoned her, she's willing to do anything. And I love her. Like, she does not deserve any of the crap she gets from her members and yeah that was that was an emotional moment so painful uh aside from the girlies we are also introduced to ceo ma the founding ceo of starpiece who recruited them all individually and started this with them like, okay, it's so difficult, really, to understand why he kept them on for so long but continued to neglect them, right? Imagine you, you have these artists that you started this agency with and you just watch them do nothing and do nothing for them. And I just, I kept questioning it. Like, was it sentimentality? Did he just not want to let them go necessarily? Or did he think it was worse to, like, cancel their contract and then leave them out on the streets you know disbanded separate with no support no agency to help them and like that is worse than leaving them in limbo in the dungeon of Starpiece and you know Jenna kept trying to send CEO Ma her songs and tell him you know please listen to them and give us a chance but he never did that and he even offered Jenna uh, to stay like after you disband Jenna, you can stay in the company. Uh, and it's like, it, it's, it's so difficult to understand some of his decisions at that time. And we are also introduced to Duho, their manager from the very beginning who was already assigned to another group 
actually. They're, he's not assigned to Cotton Candy anymore because what what are what are they even doing? Why do they need a manager? Anyway, so he's assigned to another girl group that's much more successful than them. But Duho still chooses to help them out. Like he tries to get them gigs and tries to support them as much as he can. And you know, oh god, the emotional connection of these characters. In a way, in a way though. These two characters kind of protect them from the rest of the world. Because, you know, if they're not being dropped by CEO Ma, and because uh, Duho is still actively trying to help them, they still have hope that the agency will be able to do something for them. And in a way, their contract is like a double-edged sword. Because they have somewhere to stay, yeah. But that's why they feel like they can't leave, that they're trapped. They can't move because... They expect that someone will move for them, but nobody will. And internally, the girls are talking about disbandment. Like, they're talking about actually just declaring that we're done and not waiting for the contract to expire. But ultimately, they choose not to. And for me, I interpreted that as like, they don't want to give up on their dream. And they don't want their story together to end up like this. You know, hating each other, blaming each other, and just leaving each other alone in the streets with no one to support them because they don't have each other anymore. Uh, Repetitive and frustrating as these three episodes were, they are so important in making you, making me understand how difficult it is to keep this group together, but also how difficult it is to let go. Like, in these three episodes, you are in limbo with the group. They've been in limbo for five years and you're only seeing a snapshot of that. But this is how their life has been for the past five years. And their determination and their desperation after these three episodes, it's totally justified because you saw how bad it was for them. And you're able to see just how much things changed when CEO Cha finally stepped into the story. Okay, so we are now moving on to episodes Five to eight. Wild. Uh, I was supposed to discuss each of these story arcs individually, but then I would have to spoil too much, and I want people to experience how good episodes, technically, like, the second half of episode four to episode eight. Like, those were some of the best episodes in television I have seen in a long time. Masterclass in plot pacing and like character and relationship development okay things happen i will not fully spoil it but essentially ceo cha is now left to run the company alone actually i did spoil it but if you don't remember it that's on you anyway of course his first action is to decide if cotton candy should disband or not so he gives them a chance to perform in front of the star p staff and then when he asks like okay Everyone, you enjoyed that performance. Nice. Uh, How much money do you think we'll make for us? And no one comes to their side. No one vouches for them and says like, yeah, I believe they'll be profitable. No one supports them. Once again, let me reiterate. CEO Cha is here to help the company go public. They cannot afford to have dead weight being supported by the agency. I'm sorry. It is what it is. They are dead weight at this moment. He also can't just give them what they want and let them pursue their dreams because he has a job. He has a job to do. I'm so sorry. At a defense of capitalism, I'm sorry. (laughs) Okay? Anyway, 
So, you know, Jenna's, of course, fighting him. And he, he challenges them. He challenges them. He tells them, you know, yeah, you know what? Prove that you're worth paying attention to. Get the reporter to start stalking you. This reporter who only pays attention to, like, top star idols. Get them to, to stalk you, huh? Show me that you are even worth paying attention to. So Jenna, the crazy witch that she is, decides to cause a scandal with Jihan. Okay? Uh, you know, a dating scandal, right? Right? Okay. And then, in the rendezvous point, CEO Cha shows up to stop them. Okay? And so photographer is like, oh! There's a top star idol here, some girl group leader here, and their CEO question mark here. And so what does Girlie do at that moment? What does Kim Jena, the crazy witch in town, what does she do? She turns around and kisses the CEO and gets photographed by that reporter. And at this point, it was at this point, I lost my mind and uh, the rest is history. Everything after this is just me completely losing my mind over these two. So much more on that later. A dedicated segment on that later. So let's move on with the story. Uh, what do they do next? They start looking for a producer for their song. So um, Jenna approaches Pyong the in-house producer of Starpiece, but he tries to sabotage them by like not making the song that Jenna wants and you know blaming it on CEO Cha saying that oh yeah CEO Cha what you ordered me to do this you ordered me to delay Cotton Candy's comeback mm. <laughs> and then you know after giving up on Pyong uh, Jenna approaches Troy their old friend from their trainee days who is now an award winning producer with a grudge against them because they caught him quote unquote they caught him plagiarizing a song on their debut album and they ratted him out to the CEO to CEO Ma instead of giving him another chance and okay you know what I mean I understood I understand the girls at that time it was a very sensitive time they're from a small company too much was resting on their debut and they cannot you know afford to get caught up in plagiarism allegations or accusations us right out of you know debut I it, it sucks for Troy, but I understood the girls for being so harsh at that time. And it's just sad and funny and really sad to think of all the people that succeeded while Cotton Candy has been suffering for all these years. Like, they're constantly interacting with people who are just looking down on them for being failures when they once felt like, I don't know, they had so much potential or they had so much hope in themselves or in their careers. Karma, baby. And speaking of karma, <laughs> so Troy, you know, the producer that they want to work with. By the way, Troy, portrayed by Baro, who becomes a full-on supporting cast member, not even a cameo. Anyway, Troy tells Jenna that, you know, okay, um, Elle can apologize to me. I want Elle to apologize to me since she was the most insistent that they needed to drop him and they were closest when they were trainees. Anyway, so Elle can apologize to him by becoming a backup dancer for Killa. Remember the girl group that Elle left before she went to Cotton Candy? Mm-hmm. So imagine how deeply embarrassing it is to be a failed idol performing as a backup dancer for the group that you left while they were unsuccessful, who moved on 
and became way more successful than you. Imagine the embarrassment, the shame of that. And okay, a lot of people online, like Meta now, the, the viewers of the show, they were complaining and saying like, why did they make this such a big deal? Just be a dancer. It's no big deal. But for me, I saw immediately how deeply embarrassing that was. And okay, back to the story. Elle, you know, at that time, she was essentially out of cotton candy. But she still did it. She still spoke to Troy and became Killa's backup dancer. Why? Why, Elle? Why do that? It's because deep inside, she still wanted cotton candy to succeed. Because if she left them like that, it would be just like how she left Killa. You know what? No matter what, even when she wasn't there to see or to hear it, like Cotton Candy, those girls were there to defend her and they valued her so much. Meanwhile, her previous group, Killa, they replaced her so quickly. And of course, they had every right to do so. They had no reason to hold on to her spot for whatever reason. They had every right to look for a replacement and move on essentially. And, you know, to the investor that she was talking to, she's just another product. She's not valued the way Cotton Candy values her as a member and as a friend and as a part of their family. And that's just the Troy L part of the story. We have more parts of the story because to make matters even more complicated, Starpiece agreed to let Cotton Candy collaborate with Mars on their charity concert thing. And you know, of course, the Kala, the Mars fans, were against it because, like, wow, uh, a failed group mooching off the success of our opas. You know how it is. Um, so a lot of controversy, but they they pushed. They wanted to push through with it. You know, Jihan was the one who proposed it, and it was good for Cotton Candy. They can't say no. But then, because of that uh, backup dancer thing with L, like Jenna couldn't go. She had to be there for Elle, so she tried to cancel it. And okay, it was reckless, right? Once again, Jen's very reckless. She only sees what she thinks she needs to do. It's a little selfish because a lot of people tried to make this happen. But, but in this situation, I was on her side because this was still a decision for the good of the group, right? They needed to get their producer for their song. And it would... It would help them right some of their wrongs, correct some of their wrongs to Troy. Since that's what he was asking for, right? I want you to apologize to me by doing this. So a rare opportunity to fix, but not necessarily fix, but to somehow amend or uh, atone for a mistake in the past. Something like that. And of course, of course, CEO Cha found some way to make it work. So that she could be with Elle and Cotton Candy could still get the publicity of collaborating with Mars. He adjusted arrangements, whatever he did it, he made it happen. And just when you think, oh my god, they've made it through unscathed, they've achieved everything they wanted to do. Piong, the friggin' producer, tattles off the reporter Mo, the reporter that, you know, took pictures of the kiss scandal. Tattles off to him about the whole situation, making it seem like Troy and Cotton Candy derailed the Mars charity concert plans just for their personal agendas. And in this case, you know, Jenna being Jenna, she wanted to go out there and just tell everyone about their story, the whole truth, all the parties involved. But like, Jenna, sis, what would that achieve? 
like it would only prolong the issue and maybe even drag people further down instead of ending it, ending the issue without letting any parties be harmed as much as they could. In this situation, CEO Cha asked Jenna to trust him, to trust his instincts, <laughs> or just to trust that he will handle this as best as he can. Oh my god, okay. More on why that's so significant later, but I'm telling you, it's so significant. Anyway, this whole arc... Okay, yeah, I'm done describing the plot, okay? I'm done describing the plot. We can breathe, okay? Oh my god. Just these five, four episodes? It's just an absolutely brilliant series of story arcs that they moved so quickly and flowed into one another so well. And uh, the whole situation is both about karmic retribution, right? This is karma. But it's also about pettiness. It's also about being young and making mistakes. And uh, it's, it's so deeply character-driven that I cannot even get mad at how it could have easily been resolved. But it wasn't. I can't get mad because I see all of these characters at their lowest, at their most hurt, most pained, and I see them crying out and saying, I will drag you down with me because that's because you brought me here to my lowest point. It's just oh so good. But more most importantly, this entire four-episode arc was so important and I loved it because it finally brought Elle back to Cotton Candy for good. Okay, before we move on to the next uh, plot lines, let me just talk about my girl Elle. Okay, I am a firm member of the Elle Defense Squad. Okay, I was very frustrated with a lot of people who were saying, oh, OT4 only, 1 through 4 instead of 1 through 5 members in Stan Twitter speak. So, OT4 only, we don't need Elle in the group. And they hated her attitude, they hated everything about her. And I understand. I understand. Of course, I understand where they're coming from. Elle was not portrayed. I mean, like, Elle was written to be a very, you know, polarizing character. Even a character that you dislike. Truly dislike. I just, I just, it, it's, it's a me thing. But I knew she was going to take a while to come around. I just knew that this was a character that needed a little development. But she will come around and I will love her for it. That was part of her arc, and I accepted that so early. Okay, to me, she is the Jang Beiki of the group. So, once again, missing parallels. Of course, we have to have missing parallels. Okay, of course, Jenna is Jang Gure. Stella is Yongi, like the dependable one, the nice one. Their own issues, right? But they, they don't bother anyone. And then Hyunji is Sokyul, a little bit of a firecracker, a little starting a rebellious, reckless person. And Cheya is no one, sadly. And that shows because <laughs> barely got any screen time and barely any story, but that's fine. Anyway, yeah. Elle is my Jang Beiki, and I've always loved Jang Beiki. Someone who initially you know you dislike, but I mean, when they come around, it takes a while, but they will come around eventually. Anyway, back to the L Defense Squad rant. Oh, 
Elle's arc also had, I think, one of the most painful scenes between Elle and Jenna. Like, I analyzed the hell out of this scene because it was so painful to watch. So, Jenna confronted Elle about being seen with that investor CEO guy. And you know, Jenna was telling her, like, stop, stop. And Elle was saying, like, you know what? All we have to do is survive, right? It, it doesn't matter how we survive. We just need to survive. So, I'm going to do what I need to do. And you don't don't touch me, don't talk to me, don't bother me, don't try to mess with my life. You don't know me. You don't, you know, just a lot of angry, anger, anger, anger. And Jenna was like, no, how you survive is important. Selling yourself like this is not, is it not right? It's not how you should be living. And Elle uh, screams at her, of course, as she, as she tends to do. And at that moment, I was asking myself, like, Jenna, why don't you scream back? Why don't you fight back to what she's saying? You know, Elle's saying stuff like, you disgust me, stop speaking to me, don't tell me how to live my life. And Jenna's just crying, just crying on the floor, being berated like that. And, like, why? Why, why don't you fight back, Jenna? And I realized, like, at that moment, Jenna couldn't find the strength to be pushy and to be demanding and to be commanding of respect because she is so ashamed that she failed as a leader so badly that one of her members had to resort to this to survive and that that member didn't trust Jenna didn't trust that Jenna could pull this off that Jenna could you know help them rise out of their situation it's just to fail so, so badly and to lose someone's trust like that, that hurt. And that's why Jenna couldn't say a thing at that moment. It it hurt so bad, that scene. El, Exi and, and Honey did so well. Um, yeah, anyway, back to L. Um, given how difficult it was to even get her to stay... I appreciated it even more when, you know, when Elle finally stopped resisting and she was still accepted by Cotton Candy. Of course she would be. Like, once again, once again, I bought into this whole character arc and this story arc, even if it were, was repetitive. It was repetitive, it was frustrating, and I accepted it and I was into it and I was deeply invested in that journey because I understood the emotional foundation of all their struggles and how stubborn they all were. And how, yeah, losing trust in each other, losing trust in Jenna, that made sense given their whole history, given their five years of nothingness where they held on to false hope that, that honestly Jenna was giving them. Jenna was... May, you know, telling them that no, we, we still have a chance. Our agency will still do this for us. They'll still help us out. We're it's not over. Yeah. I just I understood where they were all coming from. And so even if you know you can simply just talk about it as if it's that easy, nah, sweetie, it's not that easy. And I appreciate that. And I bought into it and I was invested. So welcome to the segment that I have aptly titled CEO Cha is not a toxic male lead. <laughs> okay, I gotta do this. I gotta defend my man. Love of my life. Anyway, so in these four episodes, episodes five to eight, CEO Cha's character develops in leaps and 
bounds from just being the sexiest character. Like, aside from being so sexy, he also <laughs> became my favorite character. In talking about his character development, I cannot separate this discussion from his possible relationship with Kim Jenna. I cannot, re- you know, discuss the character and the relationship development separately because I think they're very closely linked together, okay? So, Cha Jae-yuk starts out as the typical, uh, you know, stern capitalist CEO who's only here to make money and, like, would 100% cut cotton candy off and humiliate them in the process. And, okay, you know what? In defense of his terrible acts... Once again, let me defend capitalism. Um, Let me just reiterate that he's here to do his job. His first act was to clean up the company. He said those words exactly. And they have to start with the deadweights. I'm sorry, Cotton Candy. Anyway, was it too much to pretend to give Cotton Candy a chance to prove themselves while already knowing that his decision would be to disband them? He knows what he's going to say in that situation. Was that too much? Perhaps. Maybe. <laughs> um, was it too much to ask them to make a reporter stalk them? Like, just such a huge ask for them all of a sudden with no prior planning whatsoever and wish for them to fail so that he could be right? Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that is, that's much. Yeah. In episode four, Totally. You know what? If you call him a toxic male lead, I'll listen to you. I understand you. Fine. But I also will block you on Twitter. It really irritated me because I felt like, um, don't you think he's going to get some character development? I I was pretty sure he was that was his journey, that he was going to get character development. And I just didn't know how good it was going to be. But spoiler alert, his character development is so good. You'd think that he would take an antagonistic role throughout the show, you know? But that would be so boring. I mean, I'm not saying that what they did with his character, you know, humanizing him, making him more empathic, I'm not saying that's unique. I'm not saying that's not a cliche. I'm just saying that the alternative of just letting him stay antagonistic it's equally predictable and so much more boring because it's the execution and build-up of his character development. It's what kills me, okay? It, it's kept me up at night. You have no idea. Anyway, <laughs> I think the catalyst of his er, development as a character was the case with Jenna. I, I, I firmly believe that. Because it showed him just how far she was willing to go for Cotton Candy. And how she would continue to challenge him every step of the way if she had to. That's the kind of person that she was. And that's why she is his perfect match. Because no one has ever challenged him the way she has challenged him. Okay? And, you know, when Reporter Mo, later in that episode, my god... Reporter Mo essentially like warns him about Jenna, saying that, you know, girls like that, they see you as an easy target, uh, that she can just seduce you and get what she wants out of you. And, you know, calling her a hustler and a you-know-what. And 
CEO Chad did not say a thing. He just let reporter Mo go off. And later on, like Jihan called Jayuk out for not saying anything to defend Jenna when he knew that she was overhearing that. He knew that she was nearby and that she was hearing all of this. And for me, I saw it as Jayuk didn't see the point in saying anything to defend her because it wouldn't clear her name or it could even make things worse. But even the mere act of it, of saying something, of defending her, calling reporter Mo out, that would have meant something at the very least, right? And then later on, later on in episode 5, <laughs> later on, CEO Cha offers Jenna and Cotton Candy um, a contract termination fee, payment, whatever. Money to terminate the contract. And... Jenna's response is to be absolutely furious because you really think that they're just doing this for money? You really think that they're doing this just to get money out of the company? They're doing this to get one more chance. They're doing this to pursue their dream just one more time. And aside from that, aside from seeing them as just them, the group as, you know, desperate for money, does that also mean that Jayok believed reporter Mo and saw her, just just her, just Jenna, as this money-grubbing hustler? Like, is that how low you think of me? I think that moment, that argument, of their many arguments at the time, I think that was when he really started to soften towards her. Because right after they argued, they shouted at each other in the middle of the office, he texted her, Word for word. Wow, as if I memorize it. No, I might get this wrong. But anyway, he texted her, I know that what reporter Mo said was bullcrap, okay? The severance was not because of the bullcrap. Essentially just saying, like, I don't see you that way. Okay, this, th- that, I, I don't see you as a money-grubbing hustler. I genuinely thought that was a solution to this situation. And I know it's such a little thing. I know it's so bare minimum. It's not even, like, nice-nice. It's just, it's just so unexpected from him at the time. Because who would have thought that he would have taken that effort to call her and, when he couldn't reach her, to text her and tell her that, I don't believe that. I'm, I don't see you that way. Ah, oh. uh, and then soon after he started showing his kinder side-ish, the bare minimum. I'm telling you, I know it's bare minimum, but I love it. As soon as he starts doing that, Pyong exposes CEO Cha's scheme to make them give up on their song. Which, by the way, it was all Pyong. Okay, CEO Cha had nothing to do with that. You know, Jayok tried to defend himself, right? He chased after Jenna, tried to tell her like. Okay, I know what you think or whatever. Let me clear this up. And then Jenna immediately just goes on the, off- the offense. Just immediately attacks his character. That you know what? You are terrible. I know you probably would do this. I'm so unsurprised and yet still so thoroughly disappointed. And, you know, why did you even... You shouldn't have sent me that text. I know you're formidable. Oh, I memorized that line because it hurts me so bad. It's just like, my interpretation was, I know that you're this kind of person. Yeah, yeah. you know what? Yeah, you would hurt people like this. You would betray people like this. You would play with people, manipulate people's emotions like this. I know you're like that. And my man, my man just shut up and let her talk over him. Because he knew that it's not like I didn't give her 
a reason to distrust me. It's like, I have not exactly been the most kind, most compassionate, most trustworthy person here. So if she thinks this of me, that's valid. It's fair game, baby. <laughs> and I love, I love him. I love him for that. And all of the things I described, basically all of the things I just described, all in episode five. My God. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Okay, so in episode six, moving on, he's still a little antagonistic towards them, but it is Jihan who pushes him to let Cotton Candy collaborate with Maris and helps him clear up this misunderstanding with Jenna. And okay, so another great like character moment for Jenna this time was when she actually apologized to him for the misunderstanding. And she actually said, you know, about the issue with Pyong, I'm sorry, I thought that way. And then he was like, no, it's fine. Whatever, to one, stuff like that. And I just, I love those little moments when they actually show that they don't want to be antagonistic to each other, right? They're not doing this because they hate each other, because they genuinely want to piss each other off and ruin each other's lives and careers. It's not that. It's just that they are on opposite sides. They have opposite goals. And they just, they have, they have to stick to their to what they're fighting for, you know? But they they respect each other enough to make that effort to apologize to, to at the very least clear up those misunderstandings and fix that, mend a little bit of their relationship in that way. Even if it's difficult, given their history with each other and all their prior interactions. It's just the, you know, he has these like tiny little steps where he shows concern towards Jenna and to Cotton Candy by extension. And those tiny little steps, they feel like leaps and bounds given how their relationship started. And and you can see how like Jenna sees it, she acknowledges it, and somehow, somehow she reciprocates it by being more comfortable around him. You know, it's difficult to read this situation, but I am totally seeing Sir just falling for that. Whatever, let's move on. Um, Episode 8 is when I just lost my mind for these two, okay? The leaps and bounds are truly leaps. That's my overused word of the day, leaps and bounds, okay? Okay, so first, wow, episode 8, blow by blow, let's do it. First, we see Jayuk watching Jenna and Elle's performance as backup dancers and fetching the girls so they can make it to their collab stage. Like, once again, he reorganized things. He reorganized whole events to make sure that Cotton Candy could still get the exposure from collaborating with Mars. Something that is not a good, you know, business move given Mars's crazy fans, but he still did that for them. And then too, we have him looking at Jenna repeatedly as Cotton Candy and Mars are performing together. Like, watching her be so happy at seeing her group performing again. And okay, so as the song is playing in the background, Director Yoon asks him. Director Yoon is like his main helper, I guess, in the agency. Anyway, he asks him, you know, why do you do the things that you do? Why do you say no to them? And then let them do whatever they want anyway. And Jayok says, I, I don't know. And then he looks at Jenna 
And the lyrics of the song, no, okay, the lyrics of the song say, Met like destiny, you and I. My empty heart is filling up with you. Just with your smile, I can do this all day. Just for you. End quote. My God. Oh, huh? You can't tell me that's not intentional. Okay, you took a pause in the middle of that song to insert that dialogue. I'm just saying. Anyway... <laughs> and then after the performance blow by blow shot by shot Jenna looks at him and then from a distance he gives her like a little smile just like a little a little burst of it and then she gives him a huge smile and looks back to the stage and then you can see his eyes and his smile and they're so soft as he like looks at her and then looks away and then kind of steals his expression back to slight neutrality but he's still slightly smiling still i cannot i'm dead they did they just looked at each other and then i i just died i oh my god and it's not over though we're not done the third moment of this episode I guess, was, you know, he he visits them at their dorm and he drops things off. I don't want to spoil this. It's fun. This this other side plot is fun. Anyway, and then he and Jenna talk alone outside on the rooftop. And then he told her, like, he acknowledged that, yeah, actually, he did watch her performance with Elle. And he understood why she did it. He understood why that performance and being there for Elle was so important to her. Even if it wasn't a good business move, right? Something that he would have absolutely prioritized a few episodes ago. He trusted her when she said that this is what she needed to do for the group. Part four of this episode driving me nuts. So remember, the, there's going to be an article released about all the drama between Troy and Mars and Killa and Cotton Candy. And Jenna just wanted to do the righteous thing and tell the truth. But what did Jayo tell her, right? He asked her to trust him. And okay, explicitly, he explicitly said in episode 4 that he hated when others made requests of him. But here he was earnestly meeting her on her level and asking her to trust him. Let me paint you a picture. I have not used that phrase in so long. Let me paint you a picture, okay? They're always talking with like CEO Chas standing very tall <laughs> and looking down at her while she's looking up at him. Or they're talking with him behind his desk like in a literal position of power. But in this moment, when he is asking her to trust him and to trust his way of handling things, she's standing on the curb on the sidewalk. So she, she has a bit of a height boost and she is looking straight at him, eye level with him. They are quite literally meeting eye to eye here. This is not a command from a CEO to his employee. This is a request from someone asking her to trust him. And after that, what did she do when things actually worked out because he handled it? She went to his office you know, over time, at night, <laughs> and thanked him and even quoted what he said to her and said that you know, she would think of that whenever things were getting difficult for her. The same way that he went to her home ground, to their dorms, to acknowledge that, you know, in that case, your recklessness was right. 
the same same way that he went to her, she went to his home ground and acknowledged that his strategy was right. Like the the mutual respect? Excuse me? The mutual respect? Like more mutual respect than I would ever have anticipated from a power imbalance like this. And they actually acknowledge it and voice it out to each other and thank each other? My god! I mean, oh, this is so good. They have more moments in these four episodes, but I went through these ones specifically because I just, I wanted to show how far he is from the quote-unquote toxic male lead that people were calling him in episode four. This is not, you know, Go Junpyo from Boys Over Flowers bullying Jan Lee for what, being poor? Or just because he can Okay. Also, this isn't a, oh, her love changes the man to be better story. Like, homegirl does not have any space in her heart or her mind for anyone else aside from Cotton Candy at the moment. But Cha Yok is the one who is challenged by her, who learns from her and grows to care for her. And that is not her problem, okay? But in episodes 5 to 8... After everything I've said, his humanization is not even complete yet. And that's when we move on to his relationship with Jihan. Okay, the next arc. To be completely transparent, I hated it because it focused so much on Jihan. Okay, it was basically about Cotton Candy and Jihan's subunit having like a similar melody and Jenna's accusing Pyong, uh, who, who's the producer of Mars's subunit album, uh, she's accusing him of plagiarism because she knew that she sent that song to CEO Ma before he died. So, summary of everyone's positions and the things that are going on. Uh, no, it wasn't plagiarized. Why would I copy Jenna? Pyong says. And then CEO Cha is telling Jenna, just, just change your song. Because Jihan and Ray already released teasers and they're about to film the MV. Like, they're, they're on, their stuff is ongoing. And then Jenna's insisting, like, no, investigate the truth. Why are you sweeping this under the rug? And then at the same time, Jihan was dealing with an existential crisis, not knowing if, like, he should do the right thing and let Jenna have the song and call Pyong out for possible plagiarism, or if he should prioritize Mars and his unit, finally. Okay, one good thing about this arc is how it finally addressed Jihan being a terrible group leader, okay? I remember in episode 8 when the article about Mars, Cotton Candy, Killa, and Troy came out, like, Jenna apologized to Jayuk about dragging Mars into this when he foresaw before all of this that this would become messy. He knew this would happen. And Jihan interrupted that conversation and said, no, it's fine. Mars will be okay. Um, this was, by the way, right after he had a scene with the Mars boys where they confronted him about knowing the entire situation and not telling him, them. Like, why didn't you tell us that you knew everything that was going on behind the scenes? And, you know, they even mentioned that, you know, we've been arguing more than ever since we started interacting with Cotton Candy. Like, Ray literally called him out for not thinking about their team. And that's really annoying that Jihan has been prioritizing his charity towards Cotton Candy because... It is charity. He is way more privileged than them and it's unsolicited. And yeah, I'm glad that in this arc, 
he finally had to confront that and think about prioritizing Mars for once, even if it's not like quote unquote the right thing to do. The worst thing about this arc was that it spent an entire episode focusing on Jihan and it made me confront how much I did not care about his character and how bad his acting was. I'm so sorry, dear. I'm so, so sorry. Like, for the longest time, I could ignore Jihan. At first, he was like, oh, potential love interest? Fine. And then he became like, oh, is he the second lead in a love triangle? Uh. And then he took a background role, which I appreciated greatly. <laughs> and then suddenly, he was put in the spotlight. You know, at first, I could ignore how bad Kim min acting was, given that this is his first, like, major role because I didn't get to see him as much and he usually didn't need to emote so I couldn't see that he was bad and you know whenever he did have to deliver some emotional monologues I could just laugh and ignore it because you know once again it's just something in the background I could ignore it at will but in this arc and these these two episodes his emotional journey is at the center and it was terribly delivered. I think I would have more sympathy for his existential crisis and his desire to help uh, Cotton Candy because he saw himself in them. I think I would have more sympathy for that if it were delivered better. But honestly, I just never cared about Jihan and now I couldn't ignore him. And we wasted an entire episode on his issues when we only have 12 episodes to do it. And you know what? It It's not even done. It's not even done getting worse. It becomes even worse because some of his emotional journey is connected to his relationship with Jayuk. You know, they finally discuss their past with each other, how they were close when they were younger, but Jayuk needed to survive in America and he had to essentially like push his Korean heritage away, including uh, considering Jihana's family and also giving him the chance to succeed in the entertainment industry there. Basically, it was about his uh, internalized oppression. I, I think that's, that's it. Uh, and that whole flashback exposition part made me love Jayok more because of how frustrating but understandable his issue with racial discrimination in America and the American entertainment industry was. Like, I understand this. Sure, there could have been better ways to handle that when you were younger and stuff, but you didn't and you regret that. But I still understand your struggle. Cha Jayok, he revealed that he came to Korea and to Starpiece for Jihan because he wanted to make amends. Side note, I'm sorry. I just had this thought as I was writing all of this. You know, maybe that's why he accepted Jenna's decision to be a backup dancer to Killa. Because she said that this is a rare opportunity to right a wrong, to make amends. And he could relate to that because that's why he was here. So maybe, maybe they were just seeing each other. You know, he, he, he was seeing her what she was trying to do. He was seeing himself in that. Okay, moving on. <laughs> uh, Cha Jayuk also gave Jihan a great speech about you know being courageous while you're young because the older you get, the more cowardly you become, the more you get used to being a coward. And it's implied that he's talking about himself and he's always seen himself as a coward because of how he acted towards Jihan when they were younger. Uh, after that speech about you know being courageous, he told Jihan like yeah do what's right for you. 
protect what is important to you, and I will do the same. And he he would protect Jihan this time. Yeah. And you know what? Those scenes were good. Only because Cha Jayok and Kwak Xiang carried them. Only because of them. I'm so sorry to Minkyu and Jihan. I feel like this arc could have been so good because of the three-way conflict. Like, on genocide, she didn't want her song to be plagiarized, obviously. And she wanted to release the song that was so meaningful to Cotton Candy. But, like, no one was on her side and they just wanted to settle the issue and ignore the truth. And then on Jihan's side, he wanted to release a song that he worked so hard on and loved so much, but he knew that would ruin Cotton Candy's comeback plans. It's just, you know, being caught uh, between doing the right thing and then doing another thing that's also right, but for different people. So, yeah. And then we have Jayok, who, you know, initially he just wanted to fix the issue, cause the least harm possible, very understandable, I love you always. But (laughs) as he discovered the truth, he realized that in this situation, I have to protect Jihan. And, you know, I'm sorry, Jenna, I have to put Jihan first this time. He literally apologized to her because he couldn't be on her side. And that killed me! My god... Um, episode 9, since this arc is episodes 9 and 10, episode 9 was still good for me because even if it was frustrating and probably easy to solve, you know, if people were just logical about everything, um, people are obviously not logical about everything and it's very emotionally driven and I could still go with it, that's fine. The problem is episode 10 because it's emotionally driven, yeah, but it's... It's Jihan. Jihan is the emotion. And that's why I hated it. Okay? And let me rant a little bit. But episode 10 made Jenna unrecognizable to me. She was... This is not the Jenna that I knew. Because I always felt like, you know, she was nice. But she wasn't a pushover. And she grew more and more emboldened by how far she was getting for Cotton Candy with her recklessness. And in this arc, she was almost crossing the line of becoming a brat about it and just demanding that everyone give her what she wants because she's right. But the worst part about this was how she threw away that song at the end. She said, yeah, we're not using that song anymore after we spent, you know, two episodes fighting over it. Publicity-wise, I understand Right? I understand not using the song that a label mate, you know, kind of plagiarized from you. Okay, cool. It looks like you won a dirty battle. It doesn't look good, especially since they're aiming for like this underdog comeback story arc for, for them, for Cotton Candy, right? I hate it from a storytelling perspective because it's so anticlimactic. Especially when she said that, you know, they already had another song ready and it was better than the song they spent two episodes fighting over. It uh, it really frustrated me. And then from a character perspective, I could rationalize that the issue of the arc, it wasn't about using the song itself, but the fact that she was being plagiarized and no one believed her, no one was standing up for her. So the fact that she stopped that release and got her song back is, that's the victory. That's her victory of the arc. Fine. So maybe my real problem is with the execution. 
because it was portrayed in this comedic way and Jenna was being super cheeky about it, which I wouldn't have expected from her. Like what I would have thought she would be a little more remorseful and serious about it, especially because she knew how much this song meant to Jihan and how much they went through for, for things to be resolved like this. Like, you know, what it is, I can accept, right? I've rationalized the hell out of it. But how it was done is maybe where I have a problem. And I think this decision was even more difficult for me to accept because of like how little we saw of Jenna and Cotton Candy in episode 10. Like most of the fe- episode featured Jihan and Mars. I wish we condensed their stuff in the first 30 minutes and spent more time with Cotton Candy processing that decision. Although, because most of the episode was like Jihan focused, that reveal of not using the song was framed and paced to make it feel like a surprise to Jihan and the audience. But you know what? After all my complaints, Thankfully, the greatest thing about this whole arc is that we moved on from Jihan and we barely saw him in the next, the last two episodes. Thank God. Alright, so in episode 11, we're finally back to our cotton candy girls. Thank God. Yes, oh, after wasting two episodes on Jihan and Mars, we're back to our girlies. And finally, we're delving into Stella's mental health issues and her possible stalker which have been hinted at since the first few episodes, but finally, finally revealed in episode 11. I personally do not want to get into the details here because it's quite dark and I don't want to trigger anyone by discussing the details. But let me tell you, it's dark and I don't think I've ever felt rage this deeply in a K-drama. Not at the K-drama, but you know, at the, the people in the story that it's trying to tell. Like, I just, I am empathizing so deeply with the characters that I feel their rage and everything. Oh, anyway, instead of just making it about Stella overcoming her trauma and cutting off her stalker slash abuser, let's just call him the stalker, it became a story about Cotton Candy truly becoming each other's family. Like, Everyone has family problems. Else, that is abusive. Hyunji became an orphan and her parents are very messy. Uh, Chea's mother is unsupportive and she's always being compared to her twin. We don't know anything about Jenna's family or Jenna's past or life at all. And in this episode, Stella is now revealed to be the child of divorcees who have their new families and have left her behind. So the reason why Cotton Candy is so strong the reason why they've stuck together for this long is because they became the family that these girls have never had. And although it was so jarring to you know, go so dark and so deep into Stella's story, the difference between this and episode 10, where we suddenly focused on Jihan, is that I actually care about Stella okay, and Cotton Candy and how they could overcome this together. Because once again, these are very dramatic, very makjang plot events. But at the core of it all, it was so emotionally driven and resolved by their team's unity and unconditional support for each other. And I love the attention to detail of how even a throwaway line from episode 2, I think, was brought back in episode 11 because of how like Stella's heightened anxiety over her past 
and her people discovering it made her remember that throwaway line from a stranger in episode two. Gosh, even I was able to pick that up in that episode. And I thought, mm, I think she has a thing related to this. And I was actually right. My God, this show, the details they put. This episode was hard to watch, but it made me love these girls even more. I saw some criticism online of like how easily things were resolved given how deep the issue was but personally i did not mind that they didn't drag it out anymore because of how hard to watch it was like the onset of the issue you know suddenly the stalker approaching her finally after vanishing for all these years it took forever because why would her stalker approach her like that when she wasn't successful yet when you know he didn't he could lord what he had over her, but it wouldn't really achieve much or it wouldn't ruin her as much as it would now. And in terms of the solution, how could she have resolved that all those years ago if she didn't have the support of Cotton Candy? Like, I'll take the criticism, sure. It's rushed and it was resolved too easily, but, you know, the show only has 12 episodes and too much plot. It has too much story it wants to tell. And I truly believe, like, she only made it. She only finally made it through this issue. One, because she had to confront it now. And two, because Cotton Candy was there for her. And she never opened up about this issue before, only to Jenna. And they never had, she never had to really open up about it. But now she did. And now she had them. So, yeah, you know, cheesy as it is, that's how they resolved this issue. Okay. Slight nitpick on this episode. They jumped straight into like cotton candy getting a cf and having like happy bubbly music after you know stella's emotional triumph over her abuser which it was a little jarring but then you know how much longer could they have dragged like that darkness out you know we needed to breathe after how heavy that episode was and i'm glad it's through a very brave girls moment of them okay if you don't know brave girls is the recent reversal idols from last year and you know it's it's just it's weird to start off the time skip they started off this episode with a time skip where somehow ev- they were super successful now. Um, great for them. They're in the reversal era. But you know what? It's necessary to move the plot along. And there's only so much like struggle we can go through as we're only like days away from their comeback schedule, I think. Uh, what else? What else can I say about this episode? Okay. I was a little annoyed. There's this subplot with Dan from Mars, a Mars member. Uh, and he was asking Chea to feature on his song that he made. And like Chea is, of course, she's insecure about her abilities. And she tries to pass it to Elle thinking that, oh, they, they would want the best singer. They don't want me. But he wants her and she won't listen to him. And like they kept interjecting this subplot in the middle of Stella's arc, which of course very serious, very emotionally heavy. So this was very distracting and frustrating to me. But I understand why it had to be done. Because at the very least, let's give Chea a little something. You know, I appreciated how no girl was left behind. And they all had like a little story for themselves. Though they just couldn't all be equally deep or equally long or equally focused on. Like, fine. Let's let's give Chea a little time to shine. 
And well, her subplot highlighted Troy as my new favorite supporting character. After hating Troy for like episode 5 and 6, we love Troy now. Troy is our favorite. <laughs> okay, and side note, you know what it is when I start saying side note. Okay, we got like the cutest little Jayok and Jenna moment at the start of episode 11. Drove me absolutely nuts. After the past two episodes, where they were, like, at odds with each other again, mostly just Jenna getting mad at him for not being on her side, um, you know, it was just so comforting and so exciting to see them comfortable with each other. No, you have to watch it. You have to watch it. It's so cute. I can't even begin to paint the picture for you, okay? You just have to watch it. Anyway... Would I have wanted to see Jenna apologize to him for constantly assuming the worst of him in those situations? Yeah. Yeah, I would have wanted to see that. I love their deep conversations. But then, then the time skip happened and then it was just necessary to move the plot along so we don't get to see that. It's fine. And at this point, like, Jayok is, is human now. He's fully humanized now. And all of their interactions just scream comfort in a way that I was not prepared for. Because later, later on in the episode, like, because when, when Jenna needed his help with something, you know, Jenna grabbed his wrist and made a request of him. Like, I have a request of you. And I love how absolutely whipped he was for her, okay? Like, he knew that if she was asking something of him like this, it must be so serious and he needs to listen to her no arguing no bickering none of that just just listen and understand what she needs of you another thing i love about that related to that okay so earlier in the episode there was a moment where chea suggested that you know maybe we should go to ceo cha for this issue and jenna said no no we can handle this at first i was a little frustrated because it's like you know the ceo of your agency could hypothetically do something to help your situation right about stella stalker although it would make the issue larger than what stella would likely want it to be i don't think she would want to blow it up that you know even the ceo and management would know about it but you know saying no to that and then only asking for her help when she needed it it just shows that jenna doesn't necessarily need ceo cha all the time and like just because he's human now and he's totally whipped it doesn't mean that he's here to solve all her problems okay jenna does not stop being a strong independent leader just because ceo cha is human okay unlike what the haters would probably say about his like forced character development like no the his development is completely separate from her being a strong character no matter what anyway so that's that's episode 11 and of course of course we all know what the final episode is going to be about right it's going to be about cotton candy's comeback and the return of the dating scandal kiss picture from episode 5 okay so you know how i made those predictions like I don't know, five seconds ago, if you're listening to this, I don't know. Uh, well, I was pretty much right about some of it, but wrong in many ways. This finale stressed me out so much because I thought I knew what was going to happen. But of course, I didn't. So right off the bat, what do we what do we deal with in the, in the finale? We have a Pyong redemption arc. 
First of all, why? Who asked for this? Who greenlit this? Who wanted this? I I didn't. My greatest criticism of this episode, more than the fact that I did not get what I wanted, more on that later, was that I could have gotten what I wanted maybe if we didn't spend 20 minutes redeeming Pyong's character. Why did we do that? Okay? Okay, why, Why did we do that? Anyway, what I did appreciate from this... What I did, I mean, I did appreciate some of it. I appreciated that we saw Jenna maybe reflect on how she had to, like, crush him and step on him and ruin him to get what she wanted and how that arc and that final decision she made to let go of the song messed someone's life up just for her sake, just for her pride or for her, I don't know, just for her to get what she wanted. Essentially, doesn't mean she regrets it or she would take it back if she could. But I appreciate the slight guilt that I interpreted from that scene because I wanted her to feel that. But I really hated that this whole thing happened because no one cares about Pyong. And even adding like flashbacks to show that he was like a brother of sorts to Jihan when they were both starting out, it made it worse because I, I still, I also do not care about Jihan. You're not helping your case here. Anyway, and then we touched on the kiss picture scandal, which I thought would be the final boss fight, but it was not at all. We even had time to focus on like Erin, you know, Yunji's friend, whose name I literally did not know until this episode. Yeah, her. We had time to talk about her. And then we spent a long time on Yunji and her grandmother, which was a very stressful time crunch situation where they needed or she needed to make it to the music show performance. Um, you know what? That's the emotional part of the episode. I was G for that. I did not mind this part at all. Very necessary. Loved them. Uh, I appreciated CEO Cha being so sensitive to Yunji. Just, oh, my man has a heart and I love him. I love having more reasons to love Cha Jayok. And then we had this epilogue-ish at the beach. That was so quick. We barely felt it. And then just tied up some loose ends. That's it. That's it. It's just a lot of things happening. And it feels weird. It feels like the story was resolved. But so much happened that I didn't think needed to happen. And that stresses me out. And things that needed to happen did not (laughs) And that stresses me out. But first, the positives. Things I appreciate. I appreciated that we had a callback to all the people who were part of Cotton Candy's journey now that they're ending it. I appreciate that Yunji, in that moment, chose her grandmother over, you know, performing together and chasing their dream together because at that moment, I would have prioritized my only remaining family over my found family. I totally respected Yunji's decision to do that. Yeah. And spoiler alert, something I appreciated was the fact that they did not get number one at a music show. And they, they still disbanded. You know why I love a good story where people try their best and they still lose. But life goes on. Like, that is the message of their show, okay? It's not really about them overcoming all the obstacles and then finding success because hard work is always rewarded. It's not about that. It's about living in the present, giving your all into your goal, and taking whatever result, whether it's success or failure, and just moving on with life. We didn't see it 
right? We didn't get like an extended epilogue of their lives after. Um, but we found out what they were going to do after they all disbanded. And, you know, not succeeding in that final hurrah, uh, it doesn't completely invalidate the years they had spent together or the relationships they formed or the dream that they chased one last time before they ended on their own terms. Like, it just, it is what it is. And we move on with life. It's my favorite type of ending, thematically. Okay, it, I love that. Missing did it. I love it. Okay, and now things I did not appreciate. Uh, one, of course, all the subplots that were tackled so abruptly in this one episode. And then two, we have the freaking Pyong redemption arc that took too much time. Like, if you had to do it, take 10 minutes max. But what he got in that chunk of an episode was too much. And lastly, the thing I did not appreciate. Was Jenna and Jayuk not getting endgame confirmation? I mean, I'm not gonna lie and say that, oh, you know, not getting endgame, it's not a factor in my opinion. It's fine. I still appreciate it for what it is. No, it is a factor. And I'm sad and it's stung because I've been a clown for them for four weeks and I have never felt this way about a K-drama couple ever and have never been as hurt as I am right now. But I will I will talk about them more later and why I think things happened the way that they did and why I am slowly becoming okay with it. That's the story. That's the story of the show. I've basically said everything. I mean, not everything. I skipped so many details. Um... But that's the flow of the entire show. I have a lot of like culminating thoughts. Let's save that for the, the culminating thoughts because I have to go through a few more things. So I'm going to go through some technical aspects of the show, like just the different parts of it. Because I think that everything came together so well that even if like the individual aspects aren't perfect, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. I'm saying that right, all right? I'm, I'm sure I'm saying that right. Okay, let's talk about the acting. <laughs> I talked about this in my Idol Actors episode, but I have no expectations for Idol Actors, okay? I don't expect them to be good at all. They can do whatever they want, and I will probably still criticize them. It's fine. <laughs> but hey, surprisingly, even though most of them are new to this, they're okay, okay? Obviously, Kwak Xiang is the best actor here. He's not an idol. <laughs> he could have been. It's a long story. But Kwak Xiang is so funny. I love him so much. Anyway, he's not an idol, but he is the most experienced actor in general among all of them. And I think I'm so in love with CEO Cha because of how his visuals immediately give, like, villain, cutthroat CEO vibes. You know, Kwak Xiang has played quite a few villain roles he fits his face fits it but he also like his acting he fully commits to like the dramatic the emotional the comedic aspects of CEO Cha so well he does all of it so 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 well and that's why I love him so much anyway moving on Hani as Jenna my girl she's so good especially since she only seriously started acting last year dude honey is so good no comment i would not have cast a better jenna 
uh, the rest of them are either okay or not good but acceptable. So Cotton Candy Girls obviously saw on Estella. She's perfectly fine. It's good that they cast a more experienced actress for Stella's plotline because they needed someone to do justice to what Stella was feeling at that time. So thank God they got a more experienced actress. Uh, Green is one note. Like, Chea does not require much of her, so it's fine that she is the way she is. Uh, I don't expect anything from her. Solbin, as Hyunji, is loud and annoying, but it fits the character. I mean, what if you describe Yunji? Isn't she loud and annoying? Not even just the way she has to be portrayed, but just the way she's written. It fits. The it fits. It's fine. It's fine. And Xe has a lot. Has got a lot of criticism for having just one expression, like that scowl, that permanent scowl on her face when she's not smiling. Uh, she's chosen one face for L. And honestly, I know it's just one face, but it fits the character, okay? And when she had to take a central role in the plot, it was fine. She was portraying the character well enough. I understood what she was feeling and what she was trying to express. Kim Min Kyu, however, is the worst offender here. I'm sorry, he is the worst actor here. And sadly, I cannot just ignore him because he's the third bill and he took up an entire episode. For his arc, I don't even, I don't even feel like describing it anymore. I'm tired. I cannot. It looks even worse because he's always acting with Hani or with Kwak Shiang, and they're just so much better than him, and they have a lot of emotional moments together. And he, he just can't. You know, he just, he just can't. But in general, you know, the acting is passable. It's fine. Okay, and they're able to deliver what they need for their characters and for. The mood of the show. So it's fine. I'll take it. Okay, so let's move on to the part that hurts me the most. The chemistry between Jenna and Jayuk, also known as Hani and Kwak Shiyang. Look, episodes 1 to 4, I was watching it and I was like, okay, yeah, I'm willing to. This is interesting enough. I can, I can watch it casually. And then when they showed the kiss in the preview of episode 5, I lost my mind. And then I noticed like all the moments when they interacted, there was always something there. It was crazy. Because at first I thought they would pair Jenna and Jihan together. And then like Jayuk and Elle would be like a second couple-ish. Thankfully, they didn't go down that path because, in hindsight, that's terrible. But, okay, from the beginning, Jenna and Jayuk had this energy where I just needed to see them kiss. And then they actually did. They actually kissed in the next episode. It just drives me insane how much they've given me and yet how little I got at the very end. More on that later. And the thing is, okay, usually I'd say like, oh, okay, uh, chemistry to me is if I can ship the actors in real life. I mean, like I would believe that there's something going on in real life to see, and I would see that that's there's chemistry. That's what I'm seeing. In here, I don't even need to ship them in real life to see that their chemistry is explosive. I mean, I'm not saying that I'm not a real life shipper, but I'm not saying that I am. But I'm not saying that I'm not. But what I am saying is that. Their chemistry is so explosive that I didn't even think of shipping them in real life. I just saw it and was amazed by it. 
Okay, it really helps that Hani and Kwak Shiyang are the best actors on the show. So all their moments are like emotionally charged to the max and they can switch so easily from antagonistic to friendly slash flirty. And they have equally as much chemistry either way. Like, you cannot ship the characters, right? For the power imbalance or the age gap or whatever reason. Yeah, whatever. But my God, can you really deny that chemistry? Like, even when they weren't screaming at or standing like super close to each other. Because that's like a criticism that, you know, all the people that I blocked said. They always said like, oh, they're just screaming at each other. What chemistry are you seeing? And I'm like, well, they weren't screaming at each other in episode 8 anymore, but I was seeing that. And I wanted to see more of that. But hey, if you didn't see the chemistry between Hani and Kwak Shiyang, I wish I were you. Because maybe I would have lived the last four weeks of my life peacefully if they didn't drive me absolutely insane. Also, can I just say that I thought I was done with enemies to lovers as a trope. Like, I thought that's so... 2010 me or something. I don't know. But you really, you need to have two people who can sell the idea that they cannot help but be attracted to each other while on opposite sides. Like, once again, emphasis on opposite sides and not just like, oh, we have slight disagreements or we had a bad first impression. Like, no, this is genuinely enemies to lovers. Except they didn't become lovers. Moment of silence. Okay, it's it's been a few hours, right? And I've, I've somehow come to terms with their ending or the lack thereof of the end game confirmation. I'm just here's my theory. Here's my theory, okay? There might be like a discrepancy between the writing and the acting slash directing. Like I think the moments that were so explosive chemistry-wise. It might have been just simply look at each other and smile. Or, you know, just hand grab her hand. Or give her a coffee cup. Give him a coffee cup. Like, it could have been so simply written. It could have meant nothing, right, in the script. But the director saw that there is chemistry here. That we can work with this. We Let's push this. And, and then, like, the acting just coded things romantically because they couldn't, you know, deny that there was chemistry there, right? It was explosive from the get-go, literally from the moment that they first bumped into each other. It's like, you could have just bumped into each other normally and not, like, stayed so close to each other, but you did. So what am I seeing here? I'm seeing something here, just from the get-go. So explosive. For me, like as a director or someone editing this episode, I don't think they would have kept those little moments in the final cut of their episodes for no reason, okay? But, but you know, the reason why they didn't push through with full endgame confirmation in episode 12 is that they didn't want to spoil the message of the show by confirming a romance because... That might be all that people focus on. Like, people might just focus on like, oh, wow, they actually did the CEO idol love line? What? In the negative light. Or, you know, for people like me, it would be like, oh my god, end game, it's happening. In, in a positive light. Or just people thinking like, oh, it's a romance. Do you get me? I think, 
yeah, confirming an endgame would have spoiled the message of the show and might not have had the same impact if they did. But like, all those moments, man, you left those moments in your episode. You did not edit those away. So why did you do that to me? Me personally. But now, personally, my enemies are Hani and Kwak Shiang. Like, they, they did this to me. If they had normal chemistry, therefore barely any chemistry, like 90% of, you know, the rom-com people, actors, couples, whatever, 90% of K-drama couples, if they were like that, then maybe I'd just be normal. And I wouldn't even, like, love this show as much because I wouldn't be so invested in everyone's emotional journeys as much. Maybe, honestly, honestly. But they did. They just have such good chemistry that I am now pretty crazy. Um, I lost four weeks of my life to this. And I don't know how to get it back. And I'm not going to get those four weeks back. And I'm probably not going to get the next few months of my life, you know, in perfect order. Because I'm just, I'm thinking about this stupid ship, this stupid show. Um, yeah, petition to have Hani and Kwak Shiang in a romance project together. Even if it's like the worst rom-com known to man, I just need to see them together again. Because they're... They look so good together. They act really well. They just play off each other really, really well. I'll shut up. I'll shut up. Thank you. Thank you for listening to my sad, sad rants. Okay. Okay. Next aspect I want to talk about. Let me just put directing and music together because I'm not really qualified enough to say something substantial about either of them. But there's just something about this show that makes it flow so well. Like, of course... The writer dictates the events, but the director executes that vision. And I think this director did really well in keeping things constantly moving while letting the characters and the audience sit with their emotions. Like, when I watch the behind-the-scenes videos, I always see their director being super involved in acting out the scenes for the actors. Like, even discussing with them, you know, to help them understand their character's situation and emotions better. I think it really shows with everyone's performances. Because, you know, though not everyone is like a top-class actor, at the very least, you can understand what they're trying to portray. Even if it's like only through the same tone of voice or only through the same face. You know, even if it's that simple, you choose one thing. If that's all you can do at the moment, you can't multitask, you can't add much nuance. If that's all you can do, do it well. And let's choose an Let's choose a thing that will be very accurate in representing your character at the moment. Yeah, I respect that. I think that is something that the director contributed to, to this, this show. Um, another thing I love about the show is its music, of course, and the use of music, which is super important for a show about idols. Like, the songs are all good by themselves. You know, it doesn't sound like it's just made for a K-drama. Only some of them are like, oh, traditional ballad song or traditional fluff happy song. But most of them are like, this is good K-pop. I love it. <laughs> and I also think they have very unconventional uses of music, which I find super fascinating. For example, okay, in Jenna and Elle's performance as backup dancers for Kila. I remember, at first, they were just dancing to the song, okay? Yeah, whatever. And then suddenly, it just faded into the signature sad song of the show, which is You Can Cry by Chun Ji Won. 
At first, it's jarring because they are doing a K-pop dance, right? And then suddenly, they're dancing to sad music. But at that moment, it really makes you feel how empty they are feeling at that moment. When you're so immersed in something and then the music changes like that, I think that's how I feel about, you know, English OSTs. Those are like indie rock, alternative English OSTs, like the, the DP soundtrack. How it feels when I hear those songs. It's like, sometimes I'm feeling something so deeply and then the music takes me out of it. Because like, whoa, wait a minute. This is just a K-drama. Take a step back. Okay, take a step back and breathe. It's just a K-drama. It cuts the immersion enough for me to breathe and to really like analyze this outside of like empathizing too deeply with these characters. Oh, I, I, I don't know if I describe that well, but I just, I love those jarring moments. It's not predictable. There, it's just an unconventional use of music. Another, another scene that was very memorable to me because of the music. So there's this scene where CEO Cha offers to renew Cotton Candy's contract with Starpiece. And they're using this very like triumphant and bright BGM. And then the camera like sweeps closer to CEO Cha as if he's like some sort of, you know, Superman hero uh, angle. And then as soon as Jenna answers with no, the music cuts off abruptly. And then the scene changes to Cotton Candy discussing their plan with some sort of like the battle music that they've used on this show when Jenna was like executing her crazy ideas, which is Fly Up by Queen Wasabi. Yes, that's all. Those little moments, it's so refreshing and it keeps me engaged. It makes me want to pay attention to the music as I watch instead of just tuning it out because it's background music like no it really adds to the experience <laughs> this is not necessarily music but singing or acting wise sometimes there are these super cringy moments where they burst into song i call them glee moments and you know what sometimes you just have to ride with it you just have to accept it as part of the show because they lean into the glee moments okay and coming from a musical cheddar perspective sometimes you have to burst into song when your emotions cannot be expressed by words anymore isn't that how everyone lives their lives <laughs> anyway anyway the last aspect i want to highlight i know most of this review has been talking about the writing of the show but I have to highlight it one more time. Once again, this is the writer of Missing, my absolute favorite K-drama of all time. And for a while, I've thought, maybe this writer isn't that good. Because like, Missing was a great webtoon already, and they just had to adapt it into a drama. And then, like, they could be a good writer, sure. Like, screen script writing. But then making the actual story, I don't know if they're that good and now that i've watched yeah i can i can say they're a good writer missing was good not just because the original material was great but because the writer knew what to take from it and how to make it compelling for television like this is compelling writing where nearly everything is character driven and it ties into one another like i'm so amazed every time i realize that the current events in the show have actually been referred to or foreshadowed in the past and as I was writing this whole script, I kept encountering character beats that like paralleled past events or showed their growth from past events. And sure, not everyone is as fleshed out as the others. Uh, Chea got so little screen time and characterization. She's 
kind of a collection of traits that we didn't super delve into. Pyong was a stereotypical villain that didn't have much depth until they tried to redeem him. Uh, but you know, I think it's fine to have some characters that are not fleshed out because maybe they're fleshed out enough to serve their purpose in the show. Like, honestly, honestly, we know nothing about Jenna's past or her family or anything about her outside of who she is at the moment. We could say that about a, a lot of the characters. No, actually, everyone gets a little backstory as if they need that, really, to, to fill out their characters. But Jenna is like, I am an active agent in this story and I will do everything. And this is all you need to know about me to know that I am crazy enough to do this. But anyway, <laughs> oh, this really does remind me of Hot Stove League's characters, right? I didn't know everything about them, but I knew enough about them and their purpose in serving the goal of the protagonist. Okay, I cared enough about them in that way. And I would take that over wasting time to learn every unnecessary detail about all the supporting characters instead of just focusing on moving the plot forward. And I would also take this over those shows with like 20 supporting characters where you're, what, are, are you expected to care about all of them equally? But then I just don't, personally. And I just, the show wastes whole episodes trying to flesh them out and go into their stories and relationships because the plot is that thin. And I can name so many shows, but I do not have the energy to do that. <laughs> This show has a limited cast. Like, we see the same people again and again all the time. But I actually care about most of them. Like, a good 80% of them. And writing-wise, I love how they took these, you know, borderline makjang over-dramatic plot events and made them so emotional and so impactful to the character's development. Instead of just using it for shock factor the way a makjang would. Like, okay... The huge plot twist at the end of episode 3 would have turned this show into a makjang if it did not completely change up the show's pace for the better and finally push Cotton Candy into reclaiming their story the way they did. Uh, the kiss in episode 5, absolutely insane. Could have been the start of some, you know, wacky falling in love plotline. <laughs> but it really was just Jenna's ploy to create a scandal. It meant nothing to her at the moment <laughs> and i'm sorry and to see Ocha, it wasn't like oh he fell in love with her immediately okay he was caught off guard and they played it off comedically for that episode but more importantly it it's more important to focus on the fact that this was when he saw how far jenna was willing to go for cotton candy and it made him start to seriously pay attention to their struggles I love how this show just leans into how dramatic and emotional it is. They cry, they fight, they scream. That's just how high their emotions and their investment in this whole situation are all the time. And sometimes, sometimes it is frustrating because they take one step forward and get pushed three steps back. But you have to lean into it with them because they set that emotional foundation and immediately went into overdrive with the plot right after. Like, it was so easy for me to, to just lean into it and to just accept everything, which usually is the hardest part because all I do is think and criticize things. I do this for fun now, but this show, I'm able to praise the hell out of it while still criticizing it. And that's beautiful for me. 
This is the level of objectivity laced with so much bias and subjectivity that I want to, to feel and to have all the time. This show has done that. It has turned off my brain when I need to turn it off and it turns on and I can find things I can criticize without saying that, God, this show sucks just because it's not perfect. Like, I'm not looking for perfect. I'm looking for engaging. And this is what that is. So, yeah. That's actually finally it for me today. My God. Would I say... Okay, would I say that this show is totally unique in what it presented? No, I would not say that, okay? The Makjang event, the enemies to lovers-ish, where the antagonistic male lead is humanized, the cliche group dynamics where the members can be summarized in a nutshell sentence, it's not unique. But this just shows that it's not really what the show is now, but how it uses those aspects to craft a narrative. They created something that is both deeply emotional but also fast-paced and character-driven while still being almost completely focused on the story it has to tell and not, you know, the usual unnecessary details that are often used to fill up the gaps in a show's plot. Is it perfect? No, my God. My God, no. No, okay. <laughs> there are plot holes that I did not delve into. There are character choices that I don't fully understand or accept. Acting, passable, not great. A finale that is both disappointing and still heartwarming. I, so many things. I've said literally so many things today. But my God, is it damn good for what I thought it would be? Absolutely. Perhaps, perhaps the great flaw of the show is that it only has 12 episodes and there was too much plot. Like one of the very few times where I wish they had 16 episodes. But then I also don't think it would have been this tight if it did. And then I also think that they would have kept the one and a half hour long runtime. You know, after episode four, they stopped. They only did one hour. I think they would have kept that long runtime if the ratings weren't so bad. And we could have had more... Time to breathe, really. Because there, there were really some episodes where I could not breathe. So much happened in the show. And then things happened and resolved themselves maybe a little too quickly. Okay, But the show doesn't have the privilege of being able to drag things out. Especially towards the end. Like Everything is an obstacle that they have to overcome. So that they can face the next obstacle. And that whole journey is the experience. Things are so character driven and that and to me as long as i grow to love and support the characters and their relationships through their experiences i don't mind that the plot moves too quickly like i guess i really am coming from the perspective of loving how designated survivor 60 days and hot stove league uh, they overcame weekly problems easily ish while still having this like overarching problem to solve or this goal that they want to achieve this show Haidobuku, in general, has reminded me that all I need is to feel things so intensely that my brain shuts down and I am unable to criticize because I am enjoying the show. But I can turn it back on and be objective while still enjoying the experience. This show has also given me my new beloved character, added to the list of jerks with a heart, my, my love, Chajayok, and a ship 
with no end game, but a chemistry that is like no other. I believe that there is a chance that they may have a thing and that they just didn't write it in the show explicitly because they didn't want the focus on romance, but they left enough hints to say that there is a possibility here and it's up to me, me, specifically me, to fill that and to complete their story for them. And that's all I'm going to say about that. I love them. Even if I didn't get what I want, I still have good feelings about them. I'm not mad at the show. I'm really not mad at the show for not giving me what I want. I'm very happy. I'm still very happy that I found the show and I gave it a chance and I stuck to it until it became amazing because it truly is. And once again, it's not perfect. I have so many complaints and wishes, but I will take the experience of watching this show as a whole and appreciate everything it has given me and made me feel. So to anyone who is still here, I hope you're here because you love the show and you want to talk about it more. Please, let's never shut up. Let us never shut up until more people give it a chance. And to those who haven't watched the show and you're still here, my God, thank you. Thank you so much. You now know everything. You know so much. Maybe too much. But there's still more I haven't spoiled. And you have to experience it for yourself. Again, reach episodes 4 to 5 and you'll be hooked. If you're not hooked, maybe this isn't for you, but thank you for listening. <laughs> um, personally, I never want to feel this way ever again about the show. I never want to do this again. I would like to live my life normally and not be absolutely consumed by a K-drama. Because I need to function as a member of society, okay? I can't be like this. But this is definitely my favorite K-drama of the year. Maybe not of all time because my saying is still... Missing still exists, but this show has, yeah, this show has given me everything. And even if I'm not completely satisfied, I have never felt this way before. And I probably never will. And I will honor that feeling and not allow my dissatisfaction to ruin this experience that I loved so much. So that's it for me today. This is the longest solo episode I will ever do in my life. I will never do this again for any other show ever, but only for Idol the Cool. Only Idol the Cool. That's it for me today. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you soon. Thanks for tuning in. Feel free to leave a comment, like, subscribe, follow, and tell me what you thought about today's episode. See you soon!